But also, uh, Josh is frozen. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> I was wondering, like, I kind of—I feel like I set that up for Josh to say something, and then Mike responded, and then I had to pull up Skype so I could look to see he's frozen. I, I was doing, like, the whole Doctor Strange thing, looking for his hair to move a little bit. Because I couldn't tell if he was just being still and, you know, not moving. I feel like I see one strand of hair of his sticking up straight up. Do you see that? Yeah, that's what I was looking at, actually. I was like, is that going to fall? It's not moving. He's frozen. I think I found our cold open. (laughs) Skype is so fucking great. Everybody gotta take a shit? Now's the time. (laughs) Oh, shit, I froze again. (laughs) Oh, here it comes. I'm still able to send a, a message. Super... Oh, no, okay. I was going to say we saw the message come through, so I thought maybe... <laughs> I was going to say it's are you Josh. Go, are you guys there? About... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Josh, I want you to know, the last four text <laughs> messages you sent me... Cool. Fuck. Pause. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> that, that's, that's an accurate description of my mood. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bright Guy and Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick. Joining me for this episode is Mike Bradley. I hate you sometimes for that, but you know what? <laughs> At the same time, it, it, I like the surprise. Um, as you guys know, I have been revealing one category per episode for our 150th Jeopardy Spectacular. And today's reveal is going to be Final Jeopardy. So... Be prepared. You're, you're going to tell us the category of Final Jeopardy in advance? Yes. All right. Oh, that's ballsy. That is ballsy. That's that's against like uh, show protocol. They don't. Well, they don't really know the 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 any of the categories, I suppose. <laughs> but but still, all right. Go ahead. I'll, I'll really the category know what to up on. is cult classics. Ooh. I'll probably suck at that. I'm just going to throw that up there now. <laughs> of course, I think I say that after every category you announce, so if I set the bar really low, I can only go up from there. Yeah, you can be... Of course, the, I guess this is assuming I make it to Final Jeopardy. You can, you can be the... the as long as you're in the, the positives, you can compete in Final Jeopardy. Sorry, John, Josh, what'd you say? I said you could be the Venom of the Jeopardy game. Uh, yeah, the one that just won't... <laughs> the, one, the, lo- the, one the low bar around. one that somehow ends up Surpassing all expectations. <laughs> uh, yeah, and now we've already had conversation where we're talking to each other, but Josh Zorch is here, too. I am here. So we have uh, assembled our crew on tap for this one. We're going to dive into the wizarding world of Harry Potter. We give our review of Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. Is it Grindelwald or Grindelwald? Uh, I guess do we, it's... Do we know the chronology? If you're saying it with the accent. Debatable. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> English accents in or European, like more Western, Eastern European accent. <laughs> and it's you one know, of those things. Count on you guys choice. for this ruling. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's one of those things that's like if you listen to the audio books because he he has mentioned quite a bit uh, at certain parts of the Harry Potter novels, 
if you listen to the audiobooks, the performer will say it one way. If his name gets dropped very, very briefly in one of the movies, it might be said a different way. And then if a, a producer or someone mentions it or a character, they might say it one of those two ways. Like, there there's, has not been great consistency. Okay, so you could say it however Tomato, tomato. Like. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I'll probably switch it up three different times by the time we've done with this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, this entire episode will be what we like to call a magic minute. So, Akio intro. Hello, wizards, squibs, and muggles alike. It's time for a magic minute, where we talk about Harry Potter for as long as we need to. If you're thinking, hey, that's not a minute then, well, you can stick it up your whomping willow. All right, so we're going to be talking Fantastic Beasts. We decided to do this last minute. Uh, I have not actually, I, I, everyone knows if you've listened to the show enough, you know me and my outline. So I have not had the time to prepare an outline. So Josh has volunteered to spearhead this discussion, especially since these guys are more the experts for this kind of thing. So I'm just here to give the quote unquote normal person's opinion of this movie. I kind of realize this must be what it feels like for Josh when Mike and I are here talking about Star Wars. So, Josh, it's it's all you, man. Steer the ship. Uh, Spectacular. Um, Well, I guess let's start by uh, telling everyone that the three of us, at least, did indeed see the movie upon its weekend release. Mm -hmm. Um, And together, which I think is probably one of the few times we've actually all been together to see a movie. Yeah, yeah. I think the last time was Pacific Rim. Uprising. Yeah, like yeah. The last one. Oh my god, yeah. And then, yeah. like, spe- specifically then a movie that we, like, the people on the episode that ended up talking about it were actually all there together, yeah. So, yeah, we went to the movies, and now you're going to listen to us <laughs> talk about it. Our goal for next year should be to get Andy involved with some of these screenings when we can all get together and see a movie. Oh, definitely. I agree. Andy, we can force if you him listen. to get out opening weekend. <laughs> He's not going to listen. We'll have to, we'll have to tell him. <laughs> uh, so as Brian likes to do, uh, the track record is to try to give general impressions uh, and just overall feelings first. Uh, because, and that's really hard for me to do because I just like to dive in and talk about things <laughs> before we hit spoilers. But we, we will try to do that first. Um, so I, I would say... Uh, my my initial impressions were that I definitely was engaged with this movie much more than the first of the Fantastic Beasts series. Uh, it, it, it felt, uh, a bit more dynamic. Um, and, and I was just, and like I said, I was more, I think I was more interested in the story that was being presented this time around. Okay. Um, it, it definitely had, the benefit of being able to go a little bit deeper into new mythologies, new unanswered questions, new side stories or plots or information that may not, like it it was able to put more, a bit more charm in while still having a, a very interesting story to follow. I I rewatched, the first Fantastic Beasts, uh, the Monday before this movie released, and I found that I actually liked it a bit better after having been away from it for a little bit. Um, but now that I compare it against something, I feel that the first movie really felt very self-contained. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't take, if you t- if you took out the little bitty part 
that Grindelwald actually plays or the idea of Grindelwald even plays in that movie, it could have been a one-off standalone story about these characters and these people. And that would have been it. It didn't really feel to me like it left a lot of like unanswered path. And where are we going next? Uh, whereas this one definitely felt much more like a classic structure that JK Rowling can put in front of you. Uh, I like that. I, like when I left the first fantastic beast movie and even for a while, even if you still watch it, I don't feel like you're left with burning questions. You, you could have discussion, you could talk about things, but what I loved and what I, I, what I realized now that I miss from that first one were, is that feeling of you've given me more story, but you've also left me with a real desire to want to know more about what you haven't told me yet. And I feel like that definitely picked that up in this. And, um, I think you guys, would you guys agree that it was, it felt like a bit, I don't say more intense per se, but more actiony, especially from, I think from the opening, it had a much stronger opening. Yeah. It set, it set yeah. a good tone right there. I mean, I, I wanted to, and I didn't get around to it, but I, I've only seen the first Fantastic Beast once. I saw it in the theater. So that was how many years ago? Two, three. Two. When, when did that come out? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So it was not fresh in my mind mm-hmm. seeing this one, and I feel like I probably would have benefited from watching that again. Most likely. Um, and I, I'm trying to think how I can talk about this movie generally too, because I'm I want to get into specifics like Josh, but for me, I think I'm coming at it, and I thought about this afterwards. I think the way we've done the couple episodes of the Never Seen That with Steph and Lord of the Rings, I kind of feel like she does with Lord of the Rings with this movie. Okay. Is that like you are very aware that this is part two of five, mm-hmm. that there are more stories coming after, and it just feels like it's trying to get from point A to point B, but there's no really resolution here. Okay. And maybe if I if I knew a lot more of the lore, like I feel like it a lot more would make sense to me than what happened in this movie, but I feel like they name drop people and then I'm like, okay, who's that? How do they fit into the story? Okay. And this movie does not take the time to explain that. So if you're not is caught up to this stuff. It kind of just blows over. They move on and you're left going, why was that important? Okay. Uh, well, let, Fair. let me, let me try to respond to that in a way. And Mike, you tell me if you think I'm off base. Um, so I think some of the stuff you're talking about is more fun fan service that does exist. And there's, there's one specific fan service thing in there. That I, I want to get into specifically because mm-hmm. I think it was wasted beyond belief. Okay, to, to me, sure. Then there's a lot of new stuff. To be honest, that might seem like it's rooted in, uh, you know, like the 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 richer part of the text of the books, but that that wasn't really emphasized strongly or left out of the movies entirely. Right. Um, but it, in fact, it is completely brand new stuff. Like even to hardcore fans, like it is the new okay. stuff. So I think there's yeah, a blend. Yeah, if you guys feel as lost two. as I do with some of this stuff, then I might come out of this feeling a little bit better. But sure. Yeah, right now I think I'm I'm very middle of the road with this movie. Okay. Okay. Mike, how did how did it leave um, you? Uh I guess I'm going to be the unpopular opinion here. Um my overarching feeling after watching this movie was meh. Okay. Um 
I feel like, without getting into specifics, that um, some things were done poorly. <laughs> okay. Um, you have chosen poorly. poorly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to word it without, you know, specifics. So I, w- I would say it's some things I feel were done poorly. Some things I felt were done... Um, without enough consideration as to what they, what impact they may have on the lore that already okay. exists. Okay. Um, it may, you know, I'm sure since JK has her hand in writing these, of course, uh, that there is lore consideration there, but I feel like there's some that's a little bit outlandish and done in spite of the fact that it like it's done for shock factor as opposed to okay loyalty to what we already have learned gotcha. to be true um then there's also things um that again I feel like were I, again, it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like this movie has a Jar Jar Binks in it. Um, mm, really? And I I'm definitely curious don't know how I feel about that. To see, I, I kind of get the, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'll be curious to get deeper into it later. Um, well, let's, okay, so I, I have a couple ideas on that, and uh, it, it, it may be indicative of the uh, movie's initial performance, actually. So... My my first impression is that this series suffers at its core from the fact that the main background piece that's running through all of these, which is the Dumbledore-Grindelwald conflict, was all but left out of the cinematic versions of the Harry Potter movies. It was it, it was it was in fact a very important subplot of history that explains a lot of core characters decisions in Harry's series of events. They're not taking place in real time, but they they are important to explaining motivations and overall decision making of, of certain things and it was really put on the back burner um in a really disappointing way. So this i i think the series suffers from constantly having to dig itself out through exposition or uh sometimes not even just not even offering some of those explanations and just running with it because they don't have time to give you every little piece of backstory that it wants to um so i mm-hmm. think it's starting at a, at a deficit um and i think the other thing it may be suffering from is the fact that unlike you know the eight movies we got of the harry potter series based on seven books it was based on seven books everyone had the opportunity to ingest the source material beforehand and that was that was very much some of the propulsion of getting people to the theater um the fact that the books were you know released well in advance several years in advance of its corresponding movie 
there were just years and years of background and rich detail and discussion to be had. There's no source material in advance for this stuff. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, I, I think – so one of the things that I, I've said multiple times that I think the Harry Potter film – the, the Harry Potter films suffered from is a, a, a rather poor adaptation from page to screen. Um, now, in this case, J.K. Rowling is still the principal and sole screenwriter – so she has to write – and there might be some editing that occurs just as in any film um, and some little – you know, some little things get shaved away. But she has to write straight for the screen. She has to write with the intent that she's giving it its slimmest, most focused storytelling possible. Um, but maybe when when you have to do that – the opportunity to take your time a bit more and explain your intentions behind this, you know, more uh, elaborate fabric of, of characters and interrelated connections and events can't come through on screen. And so maybe that leaves it a bit lacking. Yeah, I would, I would argue that I think, well, it's weird. Cause I think this one and the first fantastic beast to me, the pacing felt a bit slow. Mm hmm. Just moving to the net one from one thing to the next, it, it kind of slows down in between things. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I kind of want like an extended cut of both of those films mm. because I feel like they're like you said, I think there's stuff left out that is important that would be nice to hear or, or be shown. And there's there's a couple instances, not that there's a lot of stuff that was cut, but I feel like there were certain things in this movie where it was like, I don't know, some of the transitions were weird to me. Like they cut like a a two or two minute section out somewhere for some reason okay. of just showing characters move from one place to another. Suddenly they're in somewhere. And then the next shot they're out in the street in the open when they were somewhere else completely different before that. Like there's no, you know, you, you almost need that transition just to fill the gaps of someone leaving one place and going to another. And it's, it's weird to me, but it jumped out as being odd. Gotcha. Or, or even but like just stupid shit like that. I feel like time between better. where you're at before and where they're at now. So like, even if they're somewhere and then they're somewhere in the next scene, if there's four other scenes that take place in between there, you don't care. When it's right, exactly. Boom, boom. It, it's kind of like whoa. It's a lot more jarring that way when they're happened. on top of each other like that. Yeah. Um. And as far as like the page to the. Th screen thing yeah i feel like that's always going to be something that is difficult to convey um no matter what book you're trying to translate to the screen yeah it's not easy to do that because words say so much more than pictures um in totality they say a picture is worth a thousand words but i'll tell you you know to be able to describe what you've seen is much more valuable than, you know, seeing it, I think. But as far as, as it applies here, I I think one of the biggest shortcomings of this movie itself was that it is part two of five. That okay. it is ending in a spot where I feel like... I think I feel like it's ending at a spot that would have been better served halfway into this movie, and okay. providing a different climax in some way. Um, 
I think that was sort of what I was getting at, like, the way Steph feels when watching Lord of the Rings. Like, this movie definitely just feels like a stepping stone to something else. Yeah, like... like it, it's more... It, the movie just feels like all two and a half hours of setup. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. and... Exactly. Like, I feel like... When we get into spoilers, I will discuss further, but I feel like... Yeah, two and a half hours to set up one big spoilery moment. And... Yeah, I would argue one one big spoilery moment and another minor spoilery moment, which will also be a anchor and a cornerstone of at least the next movie as a, a major obstacle to overcome. I know we're starting to like beat around the bush and just say spoilery yeah. things. Do we want to get into what, it now? Before, before we do that, um, and because and, I think contextually it's just going to be easier to discuss it for what right, we need to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, before we do that, I, I do want to put out some some numbers. Um, and, and maybe this is, again, this is reflective of maybe a, a number of factors regarding Harry Potter fans anymore. But uh, out of the ten, we'll call them ten Harry Potter movies, the eight Harry Potter movie movies proper and the now two Fantastic Beasts films, which of the ten do you think had the highest opening weekend i mean deathly hallows Ooh. part two that was gonna be my guess and i feel like that might be too obvious so maybe i'll pick something else um half blood prince half blood prince is number seven oh, it way low. And it actually it <laughs> was deathly hallows part two and in fact for a short time that held i think it was until avengers for almost a year, for about 10 months, Deathly Hallows Part 2 held the U.S. record for opening weekend mm-hmm. at uh, $169.2 million. In retrospect, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald, out of all 10, comes in at the lowest. I think I read that headline today. It was mm-hmm. a little over $62 million in in oh. opening weekend. Uh, number nine, the next lowest was the first Fantastic Beasts. So all eight Harry Potter movies in opening weekend have performed better than these two movies. And I think part of that could be disenchantment, but I, 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 I was thinking about this today. Uh, going back to the fact that there's source material for the Harry Potter books, the first Harry Potter book was released, I think, Four, at least three, if not four years before the first film was released. Yeah. The last film was released in 2011, Deathly Hallows Part 2. The book for that was released four years prior, but you had already had basically a decade of all these movies building up. Like, Deathly Hallows Part yeah. 2 was effectively like the Infinity War mm-hmm. of that, right? It's the the culmination in a lot of ways it, it it was the thing. Um, you not only had years of love and discussion and activity books and reading it in school and hearing about uh, uh, religious groups hating it and everything. You had all of this stuff. And on top of that, what you had was little kids wanting to go to the movies. Because of because yeah. of that book they read, and you take a little kid, their parent is coming with them, 
mm-hmm. even if two or three kids go and only one parent goes, in a lot of ways, there's a lot, a lot of reasons just beyond people don't like these or don't like them anymore that could play into those other box office numbers. There's, there's not other, other than people who are our age now who were the, the, old children and and teenagers reading those harry potter books when they came out there's not like an other other than a a 10 year old reading harry potter now there is not a a fantastic beasts crimes of grindelwald book that you can give to a 10 year old you know a year before the movie comes out to get them excited about this world of that movie so that when it does come out they you know insist that their parent takes them to the movie um, yeah, I think that's game. sort of yeah, like what you covered before. There's no uh, source material for these movies. Fantastic Beasts don't have a book that came out before that. No, I mean, yeah, there's the encyclopedia or, or you know the book that Newt writes in the movie is a bit of source material, right, for the Harry Potter franchise. Only in the or at least it's referenced in some way. Senses. Okay, but it, like it's there if you wanted to really dive into the lore and you could find some of that stuff right mm-hmm. not not really having anything to do with the narrative of this story right right yeah. so it's but it's i think that's part of why stretch, yeah like i the only connective tissue is if people know this is part of the harry potter franchise then they would go see it but i don't know even the promotions like there's nothing in the title that tells you this is like the harry potter universe mm-hmm. yeah the wizarding like, world thing that they right. try and put on stuff doesn't tell your average idiot that's a part of it um you know <laughs> so having yeah having having the books released four years prior to a movie that generates that much more excitement for when the movie comes out you have four years to absorb and read this book mm-hmm. fantastic beast doesn't have that build-up other than again that harry potter connective tissue and you know the star wars spinoffs they make sense for people they're like because they slap that star wars logo over everything so you know that's connected to that universe yeah i feel like something as simple in the marketing as that could make a big difference. Slap the little HP with the, you know, lightning bolt on it. You know, yeah. you, you know, instead of being the wizarding world, make it the Potter world. Um, it doesn't matter what you title this. Mm-hmm. You're just marketing it to make more money. And I think if they do it properly, like Brian saying, let people know it's Harry Potter, it'll do better. Yeah. People. Well, let me ask you guys this too, because they they've already agreed to make five movies. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do you think that plan changes if these continue to get lower and lower at the box office? I think they'd have to. I I don't because they'd have to get so low that it would almost have to become a money loser for them to stop. Um, I just yeah. looked at the the worldwide numbers for uh these ten movies. So globally, um, the first Fantastic Beasts did make more than the Prisoner of Azkaban. Globally, so okay. it made eight hundred million. Yes. Okay. Yes. So they're not even they're probably not even worried about domestic totals anymore. They're no. just looking at strictly overseas stuff. Yeah, and, they're and making plenty of, ways, of yes. money. <laughs> yeah. So like this okay. this new movie has a budget estimated of about two hundred million dollars. Uh, domestically, the f- the first movie made two hundred forty three million, and internationally made eight hundred fifteen. 
So yeah. it's still a sizable enough return. You know, uh, okay. to, 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 in context, only one of the Harry Potter movies breached a billion dollars, and it was Deathly Hallows Part Two. All yeah. the, all of the other ones are in the eight to nine hundred million range, so they do really strong every time. Yeah, I was thinking the Fantastic Beast totals. I didn't look prior to mm-hmm. this, but I was figuring for as low as they were domestic, if they even getting good international take, if they would have ended somewhere around five hundred million. And I wasn't sure if that number would be enough for a studio to justify making three more. Yeah. If the if the numbers keep going down each movie they make. Right, and and I to some degree we'll have to see. We'll have to see how this performs. The new one performs globally in the end. That could potentially affect, say, the budget that they approve for you uh, know yeah, point movies taken. four and five. But in terms of not, like not like canceling this, there's no effing way. Well, I figured like I'm thinking now would be the time to restructure something. Like if you get to if you get halfway through, if you get three movies out there, and they'd be like, okay, we have to make those last two movies into one movie. I don't think that's possible. Mm-hmm. But now. With three movies left, if you say, you know what, we don't want to do five, can we make it four? And maybe make if three she has, and four if, a little bit longer. Right, right. You can jam-pack those two, maybe pick up the pace a little bit and make them tighter for it. Yeah. And then you just cut your losses after five, after four and just forget about five and might come out okay in the end. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. And I, I Yeah, if they're making $800 million globally, I don't see that happening. Right. Yeah, with those totals, I think they're just going to keep going. I think that's fine. Yeah, the... Uh, it's funny, there is a pacing issue, and I think it goes to somewhat of her style of writing, and especially her style of writing when it comes to these stories. I mean, she's written a, like a, almost like a dozen other novels under other pen names and her own name as well that have nothing to do with this stuff. They're just like regular adult novels. But with this stuff, if she's approaching writing the story for the screen somewhat in the same way that she did for the book... If she didn't adapt herself enough, you know, almost in like a Tolkien way to know, well, sometimes I can't just spend this entire scene on expressing detail and giving you this idea. Like, I need to progress the story and keep it entertaining and keep you guessing and do such and such. Um, yeah. I, I Now with two under her belt for this series, I can see more of her novel style coming through in, in how she wrote the screenplays. Gotcha. So yeah, that's just some, some context, but um, yeah, you want to dive in and let's spoil yeah, everything the, we can. S- spoiler time. Definitely. We, we got to throw out the, the spoiler warning. Uh, uh, yeah, we're going to uh, cue Andy. So if you haven't um, seen the movie, we're going to, we're going to stop you now before we go any further, because we're going to get into spoilers. So if you don't want to hear any specifics for the movie, you can pause this now, come back after you've seen it. And, uh, again, spoilers to follow. Wee-oo-wee-oo. Spoiler! Wee-oo-wee-oo. Spoiler! You know, something like that. Uh, all right, so we are in spoiler territory. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know we keep skirting around a bunch of the issues from <laughs> before. Is there anything specific that you guys are itching to talk about? Uh, I mean, I think there's, like, the obvious, like, three or four pieces that we could immediately bring up. Um, was there any, anything about your general feelings that you conveyed before we hit those? I think we could like deep dive onto some of those other ones. Um, okay. w- was there anything about your general feeling about the movie that you could better express uh, by being able to talk more specifically now? 
Um, now I'm trying to remember what the hell I talked <laughs> about generally. I think I ta- I think I mentioned there was a character that I felt like was yes. there for East fan service that was completely wasted. Right, let's start there. And that's Nagiri. Nagini. 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 Do, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think she's there just for the reveal that yes, it's a person that's not the snake. She has like five lines of dialogue and does nothing but follow credence around the entire movie and then ends up just by herself. For there's there's nothing significant that happens there. I think other than had you seen or read the other Harry Potter stuff, mm-hmm. you know that she is tied to Voldemort and that's a big deal. Sure. But in this I... movie, there's no fucking point for her in this movie. See, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. And, you know, you, you heard my opinions about everything else. Um, Nagini being revealed, one, she's still alive. She's still there. She's still a part of this universe to do more in future films. So we, you know, Again, I'm, more setup. I'm, like, right, setup. If, if she's just there for a setup, like, bring her in when she can be significant. Well, I mean, if she's going to be part of Credence's love interest, I think, yeah, the... the Bring her in before the split. And I mean, is that a thing that's supposed to happen, or is that just? Prediction? I mean, that was because I didn't even get that, that they were like into each that's other. That's part of that thing that's all brand new material. Yeah, like that—that's not something we know anything about. The the idea um, of any knowing but, Nagini as a backstory whatsoever. Like, I think as far as Potter fans were concerned, Nagini was just a, a snake, snake that. Voldemort had encountered and befriended at some point in his past and developed this really because close relationship to talk to snakes. Right, right. <laughs> you know, we he never uh, had to be a person. Everything dealing with her. Now I, I will say, and that maybe this is again part of how when there's when there's I think when there's any book series uh that is especially written in the way that she wrote the Potter books, there's a lot that just seems like detail. And I wouldn't say necessarily extraneous detail, just detail. It's just part of the story that you may not realize pays off for like three more books. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily play an integral role yet. But maybe that is, again, part of the big difference here where when you're going straight for a cinematic storytelling method, that's how it comes across is the way that you're describing it, Brian. To someone like you, that is all it came across i i guarantee she'll play she'll play a bigger more important role as the story progresses because there's a lot more to get from where we now know her quasi origin story is we we know where she ends up there's a big gap still to fill in with her life mm-hmm. to where she's yeah. going to eventually end up um but right i can get it like from from just a viewer like yourself going into it uh, i could see why that impression would would come across See to like seeing her on screen do in my mind nothing. One, I became very conscious. Okay, this is number two of five, mm-hmm. and then two, I just kept thinking this is wasted screen time for the mm-hmm. pacing that slows this movie down and and gaps that are in there. If you cut a lot of her out of the movie or even don't put her in there at all, that's time that could be devoted somewhere else that improves this movie, mm-hmm. not two movies and, later. And I would argue that. Her inclusion, even if this was all it was ever going to be, and she died at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. I would be fine with simply because of the layers of evil that it adds to Voldemort. Because here is this person who genuinely is a good person that just happens to be able to turn into a snake because of this curse that they're afflicted with, that eventually they're going to become completely a snake, that was a good person that becomes so corrupted when Voldemort traps part of his soul within her. 
well, that well, see, actually, they turn I, evil. See, I'm glad that you brought it up that way because I, from from my perspective, I was happy to see her introduced in the way that she was just because you know oh she didn't start out as a grindelwald follower she didn't start out as a death eater she didn't start out as a bad person and she becomes a companion of voldemort long before she's ever made a horcrux at least a few years and knowing like now i'm actually more curious like how do we get not only from her as a person to a permanent snake like what is the event you know they the writing on the wall was obvious that there will be some thing, you know, through right. exposition, there will be some thing that occurs that is her final transformation. She can never go back, just like they laid out for you. Um, yeah. But no, okay, so she's not a horrible character. She's not a bad person. You don't root against her. But in the end, she ends up on the dark side. So how do we get to there? What is it's corruption. the thing? It, it could like be. That, Wait, let me... That was... Let me... Can yeah. I, if I just step in, because I'm the the timeline of Harry Potter, you guys probably know better than me. Now I understand this is a prequel to the Harry Potter mm-hmm. stuff. Does are we going to see Voldemort at all no. in the Fantastic Beasts? Well, okay, well, so let me, let me, that's not let me say. Yeah, right. I, that's why I immediately corrected myself. Probably <laughs> not. But if they wanted to, what would be like really smart is if in like the fifth movie. So basically, right now, like Voldemort, the the character Tom Riddle, who becomes Voldemort. The human, Tom Riddle. He is, at the time that Fantastic Beasts and The Crimes of Grindelwald take place, he is probably like three to four years old. Okay. Um, I thought he wouldn't have been. Depending on what time stretches for the next couple movies, he could be involved somewhere. Probably not involved because he doesn't have a reason to be involved, but he could be seen. Uh Doesn't mean the Marvolos or the Gaunts won't show up. Very true. And that would be very fun. Um, yeah. well, I'm just thinking the stuff that Mike was referencing of like her falling under the corruption of Voldemort. I'm thinking we're not going to see Voldemort in this series, so that right. wouldn't happen on screen. Right. So, so the buildup that you are referring to won't happen, which leads me back to why is she here? Maybe I'm, it's I'm, Grindelwald that corrupts her. It very well turns right. her bad. Okay. And if that's, I'll, I will, I will eat my words. If that's like, then she has a purpose. <laughs> yeah, and and. I would say J.K. Rowling is pretty good at two two main things. At giving you rich detail and painting a vivid word picture. And also in her writing, at least for the books, very good at not really wasting her time on things that she doesn't feel that you shouldn't care about. Most things seem to, I, I feel, play a purpose. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't throw in. Here's Nagini, and we're not going to tell you any more of this story or anything about that. Even though it's, you know, this really interesting thing that we added here. Right. We're not going to pay it off. You're going to get the payoff yeah, I mean, I at guess some it's, point. It's hard to tell because you know because this this part of the narrative is new to you guys, so you're not really sure like exactly that, yes. where it's going to end up. So you can't fill in those gaps for me. Right no. now, but I I think if it, we even went back and listened to probably two years ago when we did our discussion. After seeing the first one, if especially if that was the only time you saw it, yeah. um, you know, it's a little background refresher maybe for everybody. So the, these five series of movies are going to span basically from like 1926, 1927 to 1945. It okay. J.K. has all but said that the fifth movie will be the culminating 
big mega historical battle that all the wizard world knows happened between Dumbledore and, and Grindelwald. Um, just like in the Harry Potter series where you got like an, a mid card fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort in order of order of the Phoenix, you might uh-huh. have some preliminary interaction that occurs between the two of them, between Dumbledore and Grindelwald in movies three and four. But basically the ultimate climax is going to be in movie five. That is the, the, the fight where spoilers Dumbledore defeats Grindelwald. Right. Um, Here's how I tie my history. In J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter timeline, the Chamber of Secrets, the second book in the series, takes place in the year 1992. Mm-hmm. In that, they constantly reference the fact that the Chamber of Secrets had been opened 50 years earlier. And then we eventually learn that it was opened by Tom Riddle when he was a student at school because he is a direct descendant of Salazar Slytherin. So that okay. was presumably 1942. 50 years before. F- 52. That is, no. No, 92 minus 50. Oh, my, okay. Yeah. yeah, my bad. So Tom Riddle is 16 or 17 years old in 1942. So he is a teenager in school during the escalation of Grindelwald's reign. He is out of school by the time he's defeated. But it is very conceivable that, say, in movie four, if they wanted to show us a teenage Voldemort who has learned about his family's history and he's kind of already committed himself to going down this dark path, etc. And he has this example happening in the real world. You know, they could very much tie him in for like 10 minutes if they wanted to. But that's where I say I don't think he's going to he personally is not going to play an active role in the series of events. But I like where Mike's head is right. in bringing in parts of his wizarding family that he descends from. Maybe not so much his muggle family. I mean, maybe. But I think his uh, descendants from his wizard side could definitely pop in for some reason. And, and that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Because you're okay. seeing all these people in the past starting to subscribe to, you know, the quote unquote Dark Lord of that generation. Right. And perhaps it's the inspiration he draws is that Grindelwald's too weak and was weak Could enough be. to be beaten by Dumbledore, and so he that's his inspiration. Right, and and um, Tom Riddle will have Dumbledore as a teacher during his years in Hogwarts, so he has that personal exposure to him for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, to fill in the, the rest of the gap as it concerns Nagini, since that's kind of where your mind started, Brian. Yeah. Um, in so Harry Potter is born in like 1980. His first birthday is when Dumbledore, or I'm sorry, when Voldemort tries to kill him as a baby, and he is vanquished for a decade. So Voldemort for ten years is living in the quote like as a spirit, spirit force keeping him alive, traveling throughout the world. At some point in the later books, they mentioned that Voldemort met Nagini while he was in exile as a spirit, presumably in Albania, which for whatever reason she chose the forests of Albania as his consummate place where he just was for 10 years as a ghost, effectively, like a spirit piece. Um, And when Nagini first shows up in the books, it is at the beginning of the fourth book, Goblet of Fire. So she is already his like side-by-side companion at that point. 
Voldemort, as he just starts to regain a physical body, commits a murder at the beginning of that book. And he uses that murder to create a new Horcrux because he thinks at that point he's still one shy of his seven goal because he never knew about Harry. So he has Nagini with her. So he makes Nagini a Horcrux by putting this last piece of his fractured soul from this murder into her, effectively making her like tied to him until the end. Right. But we kind of have this gap. Let's say Nagini carries through the rest of our Fantastic Beasts narrative. She's around till 1945. Somewhere between 1945 and the early 80s to mid 80s. Um, we won't know what happens to her unless that's told to us. So I'm presuming as she gets utilized as a character through these stories, we will, as you guys have been, you know, postulating, we will see how does she end up and does that in and of itself explain why she may be lured to someone like Voldemort so many years later? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure this is going to pay off at some point. And if it's the next movie... That might be okay for me, but if it's not until like movie five, mm-hmm. like why introduce her now is is my biggest question. Uh, yeah, if could they're be... just going to string her along for three other movies until I, we finally get the reveal I or think, payoff later. I think they needed that connection to Credence, um, in, in some way, shape, or form. They needed her for whatever story she's going to tell. Mm-hmm. She needed to have that connection to Credence, and since Credence was going to be off with Grindelwald and Nagini was not, they needed to form that connection now. Rather than... Yeah, because it might be too difficult. If 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 she wants it to be important as it progresses, it would be... Not, now that he is where he is when the movie ends, it would be too difficult to establish that once he's in that position. Right, because if they bring her in later as a follower of Grindelwald, she is immediately assumed as a bad side character, a negative character. Right. True. Whereas they bring her in now... She can be seen in a positive light. Yeah. And I, I said to several people after seeing it that I fully expected, uh, because they all but like slap you in the face with the fact that obviously she's human. She turns into a snake at some point and never gets out. You know, they had to, she had to give that direct forward exposition from the circus master that eventually she won't be able to turn back into a human. Right. I was expecting her to make a sacrifice play for Credence in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was going to come in this movie, too. And that would be I... the instance in which she transforms in order to protect him in some way. And she felt, you know, I could be more of use as a snake for the next five minutes. And that is the thing. So I'm as, I'm, I'm, I would still bet money that at some point that's how it happens. Okay. Okay. But um, if I, and Brian, I would say this, so let's, you know, if, if we remember this discussion, if she doesn't really seem to matter or play any kind of role whatsoever until like book like movie five like if she's just out of the next two movies and just shows up in five uh then yes you absolutely have a wonderful point (laughs) (laughs) um i'll move us forward to my jar jar binks uh, yeah i want to hear this suggestion don't you say jacob oh no 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 (laughs) uh the giant cat dragon um, to me, oh, was little okay. more than a Jar Jar Binks character for people that maybe weren't as interested in the story or not having as good a time with it or something like that to still go, oh, look at that thing. And 
I feel like its interaction with, like, the cat toy being how they control it and everything, it was just over the top. Okay. I mean, whereas, like, the Niffler's cute because the Niffler is a little thieving prick that, (laughs) you know, but has a... it, It looks cute. But it's not actually that innocent. It's a little bastard that's like, give me it all. <laughs> you know? And that's what works for the Niffler in what okay. is essentially an adult movie. This isn't, you know, a Disney movie. This is an adult movie. And the big giant cat thing, I feel like. I don't know. I, I wasn't into it. Um, it. And that said as well, the other cats. Um, felt poorly done. I agree. Uh, they, they, they didn't look good. They didn't feel right. Um, you talking about the ones in the archive? Yes. I feel like it was a cool idea mm-hmm. that we got, like, no payoff on. When, you know, she throws a curse at it and it splits into three or four or five, whatever it was. Yeah. And then we get no payoff any further on that. She only, it only happens once. It gets attacked once. It splits once. And then there's just a bunch of cats running around and, Oh, that's true. Well, I mean, yeah, on the one hand, you you think like just like when um, like they're in the Lestrange vault in uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 and they touch anything inside the vault and it continues to multiply. Yeah. On the the one hand, you could almost think like, well, couldn't some, you know, sequence like that have taken place where the, you know, the, the enemy just keeps growing. On the other hand, it would have been perhaps silly if these are adults, not teenagers and they're like not learning from a oh. mistake oh no no no! I, I i agree with that but they don't multiply when the, they're attacked by the giant jar jar cat um maybe it's only magic well, attacks was, yeah, yeah the, i thought the trick was yeah magic attacks the big cat's just putting them in his mouth and throwing them around or potting them away he's not using magic against them and maybe that I, is I mean, maybe that Newt is a does say to so to. long as you don't attack them like that's what like his words are attack. yeah yeah, touche. But, um, uh, all the same, mm-hmm. I, I I felt like in this movie, the creatures that were there, other than the Niffler, didn't serve a purpose. So we have this awesome introduction to the Kelpie. Why the hell did we have a Kelpie in this movie? Yeah, um, I I will say all that beginning stuff. I was disappointed. The, with, with the cool looking bird behind Jacob from the trailer that everybody's like, oh, what's that bird going to do? Yeah. It's going to stand there and make a funny face once. Um, I think that's just to remind you that Newt is here for beasts and not really any, like that is his main focus. Right. Right. But in that to me is like, that's great. But we had this whole. It, it would have been like the firebird. Drive. Yeah, it would have been like right. the firebird at the end of the first Fantastic Beasts not taking uh, the extract from the other bug thing up into the atmosphere and causing it to rain, which then wipes everybody's memory. Well, and, and even it would have been that, like not utilizing it. He was it. Like, there because of that. I mean, that's why he came to the U.S. was to free this bird. Right, among other things. And, and yeah. yeah, like now they're using Newt, this character they put together, is like, we're going to push him into the greater scheme of things, push him towards being an or and all this. And it's like, well, then, yeah, he's still going to care about his beast, but now they're going to be a side plot mm. to everything as opposed to 
Yeah, I uh, guess every movie they can't have him globe globe trotting just to hunt down beasts. No, and and I agree with that. I just feel like you didn't need to introduce a bunch of new beasts for no reason that didn't serve the plot. Fair point. Like the, like we said, the kelpie he rides it for a minute and then he's and it out. So and... cool once it was out of the water. Right. It, it looks amazing. amazing. Yeah. Cool looking fucking thing, but serves no purpose at all. You're not wrong. And that's a big issue, like you said, with saving time and being able to tell more of the plot. Take out that, what, three, four minutes with the Kelpie? Yeah. And put it in with something more significant. So, um, s- speaking of the Kelpie scene and, and all that, am I the only one that uh, feels really bad for Bunty, his assistant? <laughs> I like. Yeah, <laughs> I felt bad for Bunty on multiple things because she was she's definitely into Newt. Oh, of course. And that's that you know that's like oh. To me, the take your shirt I, off that, line was a little on the nose. I loved but, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, but it it reminded me um very much. Do either of you watch the BBC Sherlock show mm-hmm. with Cumberbatch? And I have. Martin? Yeah, yeah. yeah that the... relationship reminded me one hundred percent like it was modeled after Cumberbatch and. Um, uh, the woman who works for the in the like, morgue, the, the morgue, yeah, the Wasn't it Molly flag. or something, yeah. Molly, yeah, Molly, that's yes. her name. Like one hundred percent, like it was a copy of that dynamic. Yeah, um, yeah. And I kind of had the same reaction, um, as as maybe Brian, you had to Nagini, where I thought, like, did we need to see that he has, you know, like a an assistant who's apparently. I'm assuming, you know, single and into him and they're both awkward and they don't, where that sort of felt like one of the few parts of like extraneous detail. But then I also tried to remember if this was written in the same, if it was her same approach to storytelling, there is a ton of stuff, I think, in the Harry Potter books that would sort of mimic that yeah. where, where you do have these small ancillary characters just providing some additional insight or involvement richness. of someone's life. Yeah. Like world building We've richness, been, you know? I mean, I get, she doesn't really, and I expected her to sort of pop back. So up did I, somewhere in the <laughs> so movie. did I at some point. Like if you introduce her that early, that somewhere she would show up or pay off somewhere yeah. later. But that doesn't irritate me as much because she was there for logical sense. If mm. Newt, is off doing things. He can't tend to all the beasts in his case at all times. So right. he has to have someone there to help him. It did bug me when he told her to go home, even though she's locked in his case. <laughs> oh yeah. Did, did, did she ever get out? I don't, I don't know <laughs> if she ever like leaves. I, I, she doesn't seem to want to. Oh no. She seems like being carried around in his case all day. <laughs> I just find it weird that she's, that he's like, uh, you're going to be carried around in my briefcase and I'm going to take you everywhere you go with me. But then I'm, when I want you to, you have to go home. Oh, wait, wait, let's pause there. Is it, I, I took that environment to be an enchanted extension of his apartment, not necessarily oh, yeah. the case. Okay. Yeah, you're right about oh, that. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I was correct. mixing things up. Yeah, okay, okay. Apartment. Well, maybe I had misunderstood too, but that's how I. No, no, I just misremembered. Took it. No, because you're right, because that's when Jacob's over and he goes downstairs and all that stuff's down there. So it's not in the case. Yeah, that was in the apartment. Okay, either way, it's still an interesting dynamic that 
I don't know if they'll ever touch on again. Maybe not, right? And that's one of the many things we'll have to wait and see on. Uh, speaking of, of Jacob, uh, Brian, you, you seem to have been the most enamored with him <laughs> uh, out of anyone that, that I know. Um, how, how did you feel about his role in, in this? Do, do you... I'll it was it not as fun. Yeah, the the first the first movie was a lot more fun with him. Mm-hmm. Yes, like being completely awestruck by all the stuff that's going on, learning about the magical world, and being caught up in it. That's a fun role for him. This one, he still had some standout moments, I think, to me. But him and Queenie and all that stuff, I, I don't know. It was like I feel like they really quickly retconned what happened at the end of the first one with nothing more than just a line of dialogue. Like, oh, it didn't work. Once they retconned that a little bit on their own at the end of the first one, though, too. But it still left like it they, open to you, massive interpretation. Right. You, Yeah, you could have just explained it away as, oh, he thinks he recognizes, but not that he knows everything. I'm, I'm really glad and that's, that you characterize it that way, because there was two or three points about this that actually did bug me, that being one of them, that really did seem to rely on like one or two lines of dialogue to explain yeah. something that really really doesn't quite line up and that would have been something i would have liked to have seen explained or explored in the movie of him starting to recognize things or people mm-hmm. and have them try to explain to him no, no no you were a part of all this shit that happened the last time and just sort of slowly bring him back into it to a point of recognition yeah. it wouldn't have to be the whole movie but like the first act of the movie yeah is to get him up to speed. Three or four minutes of Kelpie out, three or four <laughs> minutes of that in. Yeah, it just seems like every every interesting thing that happened with him and Queenie to get him back up to speed happened off screen. Mm-hmm. And that's stuff I, I wanted in the movie. And it, it would also add more weight to their relationship. Yes. You yeah. know, you would feel more for both of them than you they, do. Because every, everything in their relationship is explained in that exposition point of the movie in Newt's apartment. Yeah. They're they're talking to each other, they're explaining where they are in the relationship, what he wants, what she wants, and then she leaves. And then the whole movie is him just chasing after her, which I get, but it just it wasn't exciting for me for them. Right. Yeah. It, it, to me, the first movie between Jacob and Queenie was a great build up of a relationship. You know, it, it it made you want him to get the girl, made you want him at the end of the first movie to remember so that he could get the girl. In this movie, I didn't have that same affection toward either of them. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like that is lacking in a big way since they try and make a big moment out of Queenie going with Grindelwald at the end of the movie. And are we led to believe that she is just that naive, that she doesn't see the underlying problem of his message? That that brings up another problem I had with Queenie's entire story in this whole movie. I thought she was smarter than that. She's a legilimens. And they they fucked up one part about that that pissed me off beyond rationality at one point, where Queenie is on the sidewalk kind of holding her head, hearing all these voices. She is not Charles Xavier. (laughs) As far as I ever understood, a legilimens had to intentionally hear the voices they hear. They never just heard them. Unless a, they were projected into their head by somebody else. A devil's advocate point I will bring up about that, because I actually kind of liked that charm that they added to it. It felt to me like there are people... The, the first movie especially, they didn't really... 
in the Harry Potter series, they, I feel she made it, uh, feel more like legitimacy is a learned skill. It is not as much of an inherent quality. And I feel like in the first Fantastic Beasts, uh, Queenie's ease at it almost made it sound like, well, while that can happen, there may be, you know, certain witches or wizards that are born with this really, really, really enhanced antenna. And for them, it's not necessarily a spell that they're actively engaging. It's just part of them. Um... And if that's the case, then her, then she would kind of sometimes feel, um, like Xavier or, you know, other characters from properties that sometimes can't turn it off and they just want the the voices to stop. I don't know. Like, I I feel like they're really taking some liberties there, personally. I feel like, and because I never felt like one that Legilimens were anywhere at that kind of power level, like a, a Xavier, um, the same. I, I got the impression there um, they were saying like they're very rare, but that, that that she was not actively like every time someone walks in the room like I'm well, casting the legilimens, casting legilimens, casting legilimens. No, no, no. Just... I don't. I don't think she has to cast it. Okay. Just in the same way that they Voldemort never actually had to cast it. Voldemort was so practiced in it that he became that good at it. Right, um, and that's that's the part I never and I never assumed that she was that practiced at it. It wasn't something she had intentionally tried to learn how to do. Well, see, and and this is where I think they would need some explanation. Because as far as I understood, there's things like parcel tongue that you can be born with the ability to understand snakes. Sure. But Ron, listening to Harry, can also mimic what he hears Harry say even if he doesn't know what it means. So he can speak a line of parcel tongue, even if he's not sure what the word is. Um, okay. And I think, well, what I'm saying is, like, I think if they're going to say, like, so technically speaking, if he took, if he can understand Harry and, like, syllable, like, work out the syllables, he could learn the language. In, if in it, theory, okay. Right. So, and what I'm saying is, like, is... I think they need to hash that out and explain deeper. Because as far as I ever knew, you had to actively be working to be a Legilimens or Aquamens. In order to do either, you had to have that as a goal. Whereas something like a parcel tongue, you could be born with. Because Legilimens is a spell. Right, and that's that's why I, I said I think she was... Like in the same way, like um, like Tonks is, oh, I forget the word for it, but she can alter her appearance at will, her physical uh makeup without the use of magic, like without an intentional spell right. or polyjuice like, well, potion or anything. Like serious being an animagus and uh, somewhat, but even even that took like practice and whatnot. Like Tonks was described as basically being born with that quality. And like I said, I, 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 there's some things that I think she's trying to convey that while they are rare, they're not unheard of. Right. And I don't know, like, it, it's, it, it kind of frustrated me that you're not going to explain that. Sure. That's, that's all. Like, that's it, it, it's the, the, the only reason for that is just, like I said, it, it was never. Well, at the beginning of the, Mike, I don't want to 
sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but at the beginning of the movie, when Jacob is and Queenie are at Newt's, yeah. she is effectively reading his mind without casting a spell, correct? Reading Well, a, a legilimens... Newt's mind. Like, there's that yes. whole in- interchange between the well, two. Well, he's That's... also projecting to her intentionally. Uh, I thought that at first... He's, he said to her, get out of my yeah, head. Th- I thought that at first, and then a, when I saw it the second time, I thought... Mm, well, I don't in, think so. Th- but there was also the idea that to be a practice legilimens and occlumens, yes, it is a spell, but it was also a learned skill. Like, in other so, words... So you could do it without casting. Yes. They, like, Snape was able to read yeah, your mind without casting. Yeah, it integrates into your being so much. It just, you do it when you want without really having to think about it that much. Okay, so flipping that to when she breaks down and hears a bunch of voices, I'm getting that as her being emotionally distraught. And she's losing control. Not that she's trying to read everybody. It's that she's so broken up at that moment that she can't help what's happening. And and that's what I kind of was getting to, is that I always felt like you had to actively try. Whether it's casting a spell or you're actively trying to read somebody's mind, it's two different things. It, like Those, like to me, are... It's fallen in the same category. But that's like being completely in control. What if you're if you go the complete opposite direction and lose all control? Does it just spill over? It's not I don't know. Yeah, it's not Because again, that's the way I'm interpreting that that, that moment. She same. Is, she is lost she's at the point where she's lost everything. She's at her lowest. And that's I yeah, think you know, you're and, supposed to be feeling for her it's in that the moment. The portrayal of that, especially and how it happens so easily for her that get, I mean, given it's going to sound mean, but like given the station in life that JK has created this character for her role, she obviously seems like she's very jealous of this professional position. Her sister has where in the first one, it seems like she's kind of just like an administrator, maybe a slightly more glorified secretary type that if she had this innate ability like number one, which why would she not parlay that into something greater for herself? But this is going to sound bad. Like, but it just doesn't. It it doesn't seem like she was saying that she was such a skilled witch that she learned how to do this this well. And that's that's yeah. all what led me to believe that this is just an inherent quality of this person. It just happens okay. to be one one thing that she's just wired with. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I get that. I, I, I think it's either an agree to disagree, or the only reasonable explanation I've come up with it, come up with for it in my head, is that she's still searching for Jacob at that point. She's actively reading people's minds in at random and at large. Oh, right, because she's looking for Jacob's mind and she doesn't know where it's at. Well, that could be too. That could be that. Yeah, that um, breakdown at that moment could be could in, be interpreted the same way. Sure. Um, but yeah, in general, moving along those same lines, um, I'm not sure how they explain her falling for Grindelwald's ruse. Now, yes, Grindelwald himself, we can just explain that away as he's a great Occlumens because he would every great, you know. Every great wizard who's bad would always probably practice occlumency to keep their probably secrets hidden and legitimacy. But she, but she's not only presented with him as being the person that knows what's going on. She deals with that woman for quite some time, 
who obviously is in on everything that's happening. I would say his inner circle there all knows exactly what's going on, and right. it's not, you know, they're not under the ruse of Grindelwald. They're just with him. You know, they're in it for what he's in it for. And to assume that she can't read her mind, um, I think is kind of silly. Uh, I agree. She does say in the first movie that the uh, accents make it hard. <laughs> that's true. Um, even though that's just a silly kind of thing said in the first movie, maybe French accents make it even harder. Um, I I have I, this is a stretch. I I admit it, but this is a possible quasi explanation. Is when she does have that breakdown on the street, and then the woman comes up to comfort her. They really they don't. You're right. They don't portray her as having, uh, being actively reading minds anymore to, for the rest of the movie after that. So maybe, maybe there was something that, like, once she kind of just had this little breakdown, it just like temporarily turned itself off as a way to give herself relief. Like she learned a little bit of control because she was so sick of hearing everyone's thoughts or, or to the other token, she was so distraught over not being able to find the one person that she wanted to. And she like in her attempt to find him, she heard everyone around her. And since she can't find him, she'd rather not hear anybody. Okay. Again, that's, See, a, that's a stretch, I... but maybe it helps because, because I, I too was kind of wondering Either see, I I don't think she fell for a ruse whatsoever. I think the point that you guys brought up earlier that the fact that we don't get as much of an exposure to her and Jacob's relationship for the prior nine months in the story time, yeah, um, that's why her so easily being seduced by Grindelwald's ideas. I think she's one hundred percent. I, I think she has her faculties. I think she knows exactly what's going on. But the emotional leap that the emotional distance that she travels from the end of the first movie to the end of this one is hurt. The understanding of that is hurt by the fact that the two of them just show up and you don't really get to see them grow from Jacob yeah. getting his memories back and whatnot. So, I think she she understands completely what she's done and the choice she's made and and the reasons it appeals to her. But feeling, okay. I mean, I get behind. I I get behind the the sole reason she is doing that to be able to marry Jacob. That's that's or or what's right, driving her right or at least that. the um, the. And I don't think at this point she maybe wants to anymore. But the underlying notion of I want more control over my life. And what what I'll what I'll say about it, it's a rabbit hole that we can go down at some point. I don't want to steer this too far off track, but um, everything Grindelwald says to that entire room of people when it's full mm-hmm. is a ruse. He's full of shit the whole time. Um, and I will get into exactly what that is because I have a whole long series <laughs> for you that okay. I can explain exactly what's going on there. Um, and. Like I said, but I don't want to, but that, that whole thing is a ruse. You can see the turn in him when they all leave and he's left with only those who oppose him left, those who aren't going to join him. You can see the turn in the character. You can see the turn Johnny Depp put into Grindelwald. And I thought that was one of the better points of the movie is that he goes from being charming to being dangerous. (sighs) 
I'll but give, I I'll will, give you that. I definitely. Will... I I do feel though that he's been no he's been known long enough, and his activities have been known long enough that many of the people who find an appeal to him aren't that naive per se. Like they they know what he wants and what he thinks he's he wants to do to get there. I think they absolutely you are know that. Making my point for me. And well, but so so I know I I mean the way he talks to them is not like hey soldiers get ready we're going to war. It's much more of a you know any any rising leader in history. And I I, I actually appreciated getting to see this side of it because this is not really something we got to ever see in Voldemort. We never right. got to see how does he slowly run a coup? How does he build? How does he change minds? How does he convince people? All right. I you will. I, I really love I'll that dive, part. I'll dive in head first for you since we're here. I'll try and make it quick. Okay. Um, first, we, You're on the clock. <laughs> we know that J.K. Rowling wrote this. Mm-hmm. We know where she stands politically. Grindelwald is a metaphor or maybe not even a metaphor, maybe just a plain old representation of Donald Trump. 100% modern conservative alt-right using fear to get people to follow. He starts okay. out with this grand idea of do what you want, have these freedoms, have this and that, and if you don't follow me, this is what happens. And he shows them World War II. Sure. Fear. Pushing fear to gain the followers. He's She writes it so well, mm-hmm. but it's... It's just there. He's using that. And that turn that you see in him from, you know, like he tells his followers, the people that are with him, to disapparate, to get out of there, mm-hmm. you know, and go spread the word. To tell and everyone then, else we are not the violent ones. Yes, exactly. That was not and lost that, on me. And the, as soon as they're gone, though, is when he becomes dangerous. He becomes what he truly is. And he looks at these people and he just starts openly killing them. Mm-hmm. So they are the violent ones. Go tell everyone. Nobody's looking. I'm killing everybody that opposes me. Sure. Now, I would and say... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. <laughs> so what I'm saying is he is just fooling people to gain followers. He doesn't right. believe the shit he's saying. He has no interest sure. in what he's telling them about, like, oh, we need this, that. that, that. No. He is 100% coming down on these people that are not going to follow him and he is just getting people to be cannon fodder for him. Right. And and he is telling them just like anybody would who's who wants to ascend to that position for that outcome. He wants to tell people what he knows they would like to hear to change their mind. Doesn't matter what he thinks, but he needs to find what will change your mind to follow me. Yes. Now the only point I would disagree with is I don't challenge the fact that i i know her political beliefs and her stances as well and i actually enjoy them from time to time when she just says really funny shit to him on twitter but (laughs) i i i think you could write this character and have a character like this i mean anybody could write have written this character in the last hundred years i think I i think it just so happy because all people like that and like like take it take it back to um yeah, get, let me let me just flesh it out. Take it back to the scene in Avengers when Loki attacks the opera, and he corners everybody out there, and he tells them to kneel, and the one old guy gets up and he says, "There are always men like you." Right. 
there are always people who throughout history have have done this i do i do i will agree that potentially she had an easier time picking out some specific mannerisms or points to emphasize given the contemporary situation but i don't think that she intentionally conceived this character in any way to be a character of him well no i don't think she conceived the character in any way I think she had but a lot of easy inspiration the, and examples uh, what, to draw what from. I was, well, what I was getting at in general as to what you were saying mm-hmm. is think about the things you said when you're describing Grindelwald. Okay. People already knew what he was. People already knew this was a bad person. People already knew all these things about him, mm-hmm. and yet they follow him anyways. Right, and and I think they, and that's exactly so how Voldemort ends up snowballing. power. You know, the same thing. Um, so I'm, well, let's, let, let's, let's put a pin in that because may, maybe I don't have that completely fleshed out in my head, but you know, if the, if the point we're starting at is, is, you know, talking about Queenie in, in, in a way, do, do I think she's naive? Um, maybe slightly at first. What? No, I wouldn't say naive. I think she may be making her decision for one reason more strongly than another i think hers are more personal per se as like really caring about wizard dominance but she knows that that's part of the game she knows in order to get what she would like to have all this other stuff is going to be her means to the end right but that's the point i'm getting at is that grindelwald isn't looking for peace with humans He's not right, and, and and I think and she that's knows where I'm that. saying she's being duped. Is that well? No, she's going because she wants her life with Jacob to be but, accepted. Yeah, I'm saying I don't. I don't possible. think she's in denial that in order to get what she wants, all that other stuff is going to happen. Even if it's not what she necessarily wants, she's accepting that it will happen if it gets her what she wants. But See, I, I think the part that sticks me that sticks out to me there's a there's somewhere in that speech where. Grindelwald starts to talk about, okay, well, humans can be, you know, I don't want to kill mm-hmm. them all. They can be used for some way. And somewhere in that line of dialogue, you can read between the lines and realize he's going to kill all these people anyway. So, meaning, if Queenie wants to marry Jacob and she goes to follow Grindelwald, eventually Jacob's going to die under Grindelwald's yeah. plan. Grindelwald's not going to allow marriages between muggles and humans. Right. So, I don't know how that's lost on her. If the rest of us are picking, like, I feel like she, she was smarter than that to realize that that's the end goal. What I took her last moment when she screams at Jacob to come with her and he refuses and she still, she, she pauses for just a moment before she turns. I took that as she's recognizing that this specific outcome with this specific person may not be possible any longer but the other points that he used to seduce her like especially at the apartment of like bringing up the fact of her position versus her sister's position in life and and, and all that right. stuff she is in that moment converting from why can't i just have the life that i want with jacob to no one is going to stop me from having the life I want, whatever that is. Even if it's not that anymore. 
Uh, so in that moment, it's, it's less about Jacob and more about her. Once he refuses to follow with her, yes. Okay. Up until that so, moment, she's getting more desperate. But ultimately, she realizes, I I just don't want other things impeding what I want. See, okay, so this just occurred to me too, and this sort of falls in line maybe with more of like the the Trump comparisons that uh, Mike had made. It's like at the point where like you re- she realizes something's going to happen that's bad, mm-hmm. but at this point you've gone too far to acknowledge you've made a mistake, and now you just have to fully commit to your mistake. <laughs> sure. That's the way I'm suddenly interpreting this now. Doubling down on it. Um. <laughs> I, again, I, I, I think some of this stuff could be so generic that it would be not difficult to envision these things happening, but it is it just so happens that we have this ridiculous real world living out example every day that we're all in the middle of that yeah. right, but I, that like for good or bad using that as inspiration though right in the, like, in the it, way she's writing things specifically i think she is it could playing be. on that and very intentionally be. knowing her it's a dig it's her way of saying like, <laughs> and then later, you know, like he's going to say something and she's going to say, you know, like, oh, well, I did base the villain on you. <laughs> See, I don't, <laughs> you I don't know, know like, if it's going to go that on the nose ever. Like in, in the way no, that like not, Biff Tannen but... in Back to the Future 2 <laughs> was admitted by the writers and creators to um, be based on Donald Trump. Like they admitted that many times like that well, was yeah. exactly he was a a a spoof a caricature of him like i said i think there are certain there's a lot of parallels that we're living through in real time that make it easy to say that and maybe because of her personal opinion of him it's easy for her to look at that and really find the core of how she would want to portray someone like this because it's right in front of her right now. But uh-huh. I don't know if she's necessarily intentionally like hoping that Donald Trump gets the point. That no, no, I don't think would, she's you know? hoping that Donald Trump gets the point. I think he's not going to see this. Movie anyway. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was going to say like, he's, she's not hoping he gets the point in any way. She's just, I think she's doing the bits and pieces of it that you see that are so like the, they're the violent ones go to, you know, go spread the word. We're not the violent ones. I feel like those pieces are chosen potentially as a point to make. It could um, be. And, and again, because we're, we're unfortunately living through it at the moment and it's right, right in front of us. Maybe it's difficult to not try to take that opportunity. Right. So I don't want to like get yeah. everybody's train of thought off on this, but I realize that we're like an hour and a half into this thing. Since we've got into spoilers, we've talked about two characters, and three <laughs> characters. So I just kind of want to try to move us along here. Fair point. Um. I, so eventually, I mean, the the big meat and potatoes is going to be the big end reveal. So before we hit that, is there? I mean, do you want to go there next, or is there other things along the way that? We're on your mind. I want to I want to talk a little bit about Credence and what his, his sort of role is in the movie, but that can lead up sure. to that yeah. that last okay. twist. Um, something I thought about when we were talking about the the final speech and like choosing Grindelwald's followers and stuff. There was one dude that was in his inner circle that he refers to as like, "Well, we'll see if you're with yes. me till the end." And then he gets burned up coming through the circle, 
I feel like there's a lot more story with that character and what that's supposed to mean, but to me that was just some faceless dude that suddenly died at the end, and I had no They did not do bearing on a good job of explaining why he kills him. Like the guy questions him like once earlier. Right. Like you should have seen more of a like like yeah, more more lead up to that of him questioning his if like I am I on the right side and trying to just more of a give and take and decide which side he wants to be on and See that slowly go downhill to the point where he is no longer a follower and he gets chewed up by the fire. And, right. and I, I took that as not necessarily that he was regretting the side that he was on, but the way the way that I saw the like intimidation scene that happens like midway through the movie was that why the hell would you dare question me? Yeah, it's not like he's doubting it, but it's like. This is what we're going to do. This is my tactic. This is my strategy. This is my decision. And the other guys well, just see, sort of... the way the actor portrays it to me felt like, oh, suddenly he's questioning where he's at. And like, oh, did I sign up for the run thing? Mm. Okay. And even like when he's trying to run into that ring of fire, he hesitates like, well, okay, I, I feel like I should go for it. And then he dies. Fair enough. It came through differently to me. But again, that's. But yeah. But I, I think that, that leads to the point that I'm trying to make where it's not fully explained mm-hmm. one way or the other. And I just feel like that's something that you should be cut or fleshed out. Like, make a decision there. It had no bearing on the story for him being in there. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys feel about Jude Law as Dumbledore? Good choice. I was fine Medium with it. choice, mediocre choice. I mean, I, I feel like I'd like to see more manner. Maybe I'm not picking up on, like, the mannerisms of the Dumbledore that mm-hmm. I know. And maybe it's just because it's a stark tra- stark contrast <laughs> between old white bearded guy in robes yeah. and younger shaven suit mm-hmm. man. Yeah. So it's it's hard to make that connection. Sure. But as far as like him portraying a character, I thought he did fine. I I enjoyed him. Yeah, I I didn't think he did anything wrong. I don't think there was anything there that I was like, that's not Dumbledore. You know, what I mean, like I didn't feel that at any point. Um. You know, it's still tough to get past that Jude Law thing where yeah. it's that's Jude Law and he still sounds and looks very much like Jude Law and this doesn't really hide that it's Jude Law. And I'm um, actually looking forward to when they can hide him yes, behind makeup and, and longer white beards. I think we actually did talk about that point when we discussed his casting news. That that exact yeah. thing was said that he's not really a character actor. So it's difficult to not always see him when he's playing a role. It's just, it's like, okay, there's Jude Law acting as somebody in this scenario this time. It's like Will Smith yes. playing Will Smith and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I did like the way, so the, especially the, the scene where they end up in, it's, it's nighttime and, and him and Newt are strolling around. It's like toward the beginning of the movie. And they end mm-hmm. up in that uh, little, like, carriage bus thing. And just, like, the sort of annoying way that Dumbledore can set a person up into a set of circumstances really quasi-against their will. Yeah. That, but that, but it's still, like a, like, a charming kind of way. I thought that was very uh, uh, characteristic of, of the Dumbledore that, that I know. Yeah, he does the same thing to Harry how many times? Right. And, and I, I personally, that whole sequence, I love the glove. Yeah. The glove, I thought, was a fantastic touch. Yeah. 
um, that didn't, you know, doesn't require any explanation. It's just a fun little thing to add, and that you probably won't ever see again in any of the movies. Maybe not, but even if we didn't, like, I, I didn't, I'd be okay with that. Like, I didn't take it as, you know, like... Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I will actually cheer if I see the glove again. I'll be like, ah, the glove! Awesome! What's it gonna do? And that'll be fun. <laughs> what's it gonna do? Yeah, I mean, what's it gonna do? It's gonna point to where you should go or something again, probably. But that's okay. Um, I, yeah. I was happy that she created a physical, more tangible reason as to why Dumbledore also, for a long time, chooses not to physically confront Grindelwald. Like, this blood pact. As that, opposed that, to just the, we were in love at one yes, time thing. Yes, and I can't yeah. get over it. Like, that was one of the things that really bugged me about the the first trailer for this is the only one I watched, and I think even in that, he they include that line of dialogue where he says, I can't move against Grindelwald. And you just got this annoyance, like, dude, you're Okay, you just got to get over it. People are dying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like come on. But which which you know inherently is still going to be a factor, but it also he, you know, is at least up to this point physically impeded from doing so. And I guess the only way that he could deal with it previously would have been to confront Grindelwald in order to get this thing back in the first place. I guess through non yeah. through non battle means because if the deal that they made was to not fight each other, he would have to somehow get it back through other other persuasion or other ways, and then still deal with the fact that it exists before he could then physically take him on. Um, it was a nice little maybe a little bit of a MacGuffin, but it was a nice little like plot thing to follow into the next movie, and that that's what I meant like at the beginning is like now I have more mythology. Now I have a brand new yeah. thing. Like, oh, how does that work? What happens? Like, what are its... How does it limit you? What what can it do? What can't it do? What does it allow you to do? What does it not allow you to do? Um, That's what, like, really intrigued me about those stories to begin with. was just, like, layer after layer after, like, new... For every answer, you have three more questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like... It, they, you know... I, I may have ragged on it a lot, but <laughs> I, I feel like the high points that they hit, they hit in what they were getting in between with Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Um, I feel like those were definitely the stronger points of this story. And I feel like there's still some people that are going to be like, <sighs> questioning whether or not Dumbledore and Grindelwald were gay. It, it, like, because, yes, J.K. came out and said it a long time ago. Right. But not everybody's seen that. It was never in the book. It was never... I didn't see that. I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah it, it, like, it was, it's never uh, been explicitly put forward in a movie. No. In it, any it way, was shape, a, or form. It was a question she got at a live book reading, like a big event live book reading, um... At some point after Deathly Hallows came out, uh, yeah. like a year or two afterward. And however, I forget what the question was posed to her. It wasn't like, hey, I have this theory. Am I right? Uh, the way that the question was posed, like, that is how she addressed it by saying, like, well, the reason, you know, that they did certain things when they were younger and why it took them so long to face him to begin with was 
because they uh, assumedly they were i mean at least dumbledore she her direct answer i believe was dumbledore was gay and was in love with grindelwald yes it doesn't to be fair explicitly say that he was as well or that they had a relationship together enough um but they could still i feel like she could get some balls in writing the screenplay and just say it rather than implying here implying there just remove you know the the kid gloves with it the subtext yeah yeah i and, I, I, and just have dumbledore say like i think yeah you know i think she will i i she doesn't seem to be scared of that i think the reason it didn't have to come up explicitly in the books or in the prior movies was that it wasn't that fact wasn't that inherently important to right. Harry's arc. Absolutely. I don't you think know, it needed so it to come up before to. now. But in this movie, there is so many... Like, in all those flashback scenes, it's like... Mm-hmm. This is, seems I, fairly obvious, but some people are still going to be like, nah, not Dumbledore, because they pay no attention to what J.K. has said right. or anything like that. So they're, they'd have no well, have context a- for it. I have a question yeah, for you she, guys then, because this is sort of what Josh said from from Rawlings' quote, is that she acknowledged Dumbledore was gay, and we don't really know if Grindelwald felt the same way about Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And that's something I feel like that, thinking back at it now, I guess that is open to interpretation, because yes, he is guarding that blood pact, but is he guarding it because he loves and misses Dumbledore? Is he guarding it because he knows while he has it, Dumbledore can't come after him? At least I, the latter, if not the former as well. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah, definitely one, maybe both. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some point now that you've introduced this, let's just call it an amulet for lack of a better explanation. Um, now that they've introduced this, if the next movie, especially, doesn't center on at least looking for solutions to undo it. You know, maybe it maybe the next movie ends. You know, one of the 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 big resolutions of the next movie is, among other things, finally, you know, finding the way to destroy it. Um, I feel like you can't beat around that bush much longer. I right, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if by sometime in the third movie, two years from now, that that at that exact point that you're discussing is not just put out like it has to be like during a discussion with newt like hey newt um i need you to understand finally what this was all about it wasn't just this thing here's what this thing was here's i i had to put other people in front of me unfortunately because of what this meant to both of us like i think you just have to get there and i think she will i personally think that that could be where dumbledore and newt are going to discuss at the end of the film when they're Quite possibly. Yeah. off on their way and the Nifflers, you know, leading the charge and yeah. all that. Um, I feel like they could be going to discuss, because it, it presumably, you know, Newt brings that back. He doesn't know. Like, he sees what it is and he gets the idea that, holy crap, Blund- you know, Dumbledore must have a blood pact with Grindelwald and that's why this is this way. Right. But he doesn't know the history between them. And right. I feel like they're going to discuss why that was made. Because yeah, it's like, I, here this is, and I think he looks at him, he's like, know. what's this? <laughs> you know? Well, to Josh's point, if that's actually what they're going to do, 
Put that in the fucking movie. Don't let yes. that happen off screen. And then Newt comes back in the next movie and it's like, oh, I know everything. Oh, no, yeah. We'd like to hear oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we don't need the subtext look between Newt and Dumbledore to be like, well, I know how you feel about him. Right. Come right. on. <laughs> like, let's, and, and to be let's fair, have in, that discussion. In this one, it's, number one, he doesn't, because of the, it's not shame that he feels for having had those feelings. When the ministry officials come to the school and they're showing him the memories and they say, you two were cl- as close as brothers, closer than brothers, actually, he doesn't have to tell them because it's not important for them to know at that time. And the conf- not, the conflicting feelings he feel that he has about it all, plus the fact that if he has, say, shame is not the right word because it's not like a gay shaming thing, but... The conflicted feelings about having feelings for someone who turned out to be this way and this type of person. He also maybe not doesn't want just anybody who doesn't need to know that that's part of his and Grindelwald's history. Well, I was going to say, perhaps the shame is the blood pact. All right. Both of them. And the reason they made it really. He's ashamed that he, well, and this is what I was going to get to with the whole Grindelwald's not in love with him, Mm -hmm. is that he's ashamed that he was duped by Grindelwald could be. making a blood pact. Could be. Maybe as you're um, talking about manipulation and whatnot, maybe even as they were teenagers and like in their what, 19, 20 years old, maybe they, he realized what really Dumbledore's view of him was and he made him play right into it. That's very possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other character I want to bring up before we get to the, the credence mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, how did you guys feel about Tina? Because I felt like she got a complete, not character shift, but she went from, I felt like, being important to the first one to love interest in this. Yeah, I was, I felt she didn't have enough to do. And and, and this was an interesting point that I was thinking earlier, which is, I think this one was J.K. Rowling's real first attempt at a, what I'll call, like, a Two Towers or Return of the King storytelling mode whereas this is her first time having to write separate storylines happening happening concurrently with different groups so the harry potter books and even the first fantastic beast movie pretty much mostly follow one solid group harry potter Mm -hmm. movies and the books especially well the movies we'll say follow harry straight through every now and then you're seeing someone else for a couple of minutes in direct relation to something involving him in this movie, really for the first time you have at one point Newt and Jacob, and then you have Tina, uh, or I'm sorry, Queenie trying to find Tina. Then you have the Aurors. Then you have, uh, Lita and, uh, her half brother and their family history subplot going on. And you have Credence at the circus, then you have Credence and Nagini going to find that person, and then on their journey, like, there's a lot going on, and I, 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 this is the first time, especially in movie form, like, she's had to juggle directly writing that kind of stuff, because the adaptations, the yeah. adaptations from the Harry Potter books to those movies, those screenwriters cut out so much of the side scenes and subplots that they just streamlined it, like, if it is not Harry, Ron, or, her, or Hermione, preferably all three of them at the same time, it barely was a scene. Only when they yeah. needed to show you something did they ever really divert. 
Um, and I think this was a challenge for her that didn't get balanced out quite right. And that's why you have a character like Tina that was so integral in the first one seem like she, yeah, didn't like, I would have loved to see her aura ring a lot more than she got to. Yeah. I think what you've seen here as well was a missed opportunity, in my opinion, um, for the story going forward, mm -hmm. in so much that we lose Lita at the end of this movie. Yeah. And I felt as though the love story for Newt with Lita and Tina at the same time was much more interesting than just the love story with Tina. Because okay. you have this whole, she's marrying his brother, we never get an explanation of why. We never get the story yeah. of why she's marrying his brother and not him. We never get any of that story that, you know, it, it's just looming there. Now she's gone, so it doesn't really matter even if they tell it afterward. Right. Um, and we have all of this stuff there that they could have told with Lita. And I feel like they eliminated her because they didn't know how to squeeze it in. And going where else forward. to go with it to sustain it? To right. continue being worthwhile or interesting. And I also felt like, unfortunately enough for them, that the chemistry on screen between Eddie Redmayne and Zoe Kravitz was much better than what he had with Catherine Waterson. Oh, really? Um, I, I felt that equal. I, I enjoyed both of them. I like the awkward... See, I guess it's a very different dynamic. Like, her, him and Lita have a childhood history... So they come from a different place than meeting as adults, and mm -hmm. Tina and Newt are both so insecure and so awkward that I, I, I it's like apples and oranges, but I thought they actually both worked well. I, I think it worked well. I just think the chemistry was there, though. Is, is what I'm saying? Like, okay, I just mean between the actors themselves. Mm, you know, right. when we're talking here, like actual chemistry yeah and i feel like there's just something that no matter what script is there that can't be wrote into a film yeah and, and i think to, to some degree it's the fact that tina and newt are separated for a good portion of the beginning and then even when they're together they don't really have that much time on screen together, like they don't have that much of an opportunity to give you that charm back from the first right. one. Cause I, th I thought they worked absolutely golden in the first one. And it just might've been a, like a, a lack of intersection or, or uh screen time together that they didn't really give it a chance to shine as much in this one. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's definitely true as well. Um, all right, so I kind of want to bring us to probably our last bit here because I think we're we're pushing two hours, which I think might be a little bit too much for this one. Um, I kind of want to segue with spinning from Lita, uh, the, her whole backstory of like switching the babies and stuff, and then leading to that reveal of that Credence may or may not be a Dumbledore, which I think might be open debate. We'll we'll see where that discussion goes. That whole plot point seems so convenient to me. Like, she just happened to switch with who might be a Dumbledore, and that's the explanation we get as to this family tree that's all screwed. Like, to me, it seems like the whole movie hinges on that, 
and Credence is a character I felt like was not wasted, maybe, but didn't have enough to do. I feel like the whole movie, you're just waiting to get that reveal, and he has nothing to do until that reveal happens at the very end of the movie. I'll agree to that, yeah. And for being one of the villains of this franchise or this movie moving forward, I feel like there was more that needed to be done there. Well, one, I don't feel like Credence is a villain. I feel like Credence is a victim. All right, that's fair. Um, but tra- 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 tragic villain, tragic antagonist, yeah. something like I- that. I'll give my short take on this as best I can. Um, I agree. It's way too convenient. It's way too, I don't know, more Dumbledore family drama stuff coming into play that is just kind of, to me, both expected and at the same time lackluster in my opinion i know that's going to sound crazy like oh it's dumbledore's long lost never mentioned before brother um because as you probably seems like you don't know brian this is never ever mentioned in anything we get you know his sister that is mentioned extensively in the last book they talk all about it and of all this stuff that's ever uncovered, the baby drowned at sea that the Dumbledore family lost, as well as evidently a family servant, because it wouldn't have been Dumbledore's mother that drowned at sea with that baby, because right. that would have had to have been talked about. Um, so they send, you know, so evidently the Dumbledore family, without notice, being so prevalent in the community that people were paying enough attention to write all these stories about decades and decades later, was able to send a newborn baby across the Atlantic, unbeknownst to anyone. Nobody knew the baby was born. Nobody knew they were sending it away. Nobody knew their caretaker died. None of that. Um, To that, I'm saying grown. um, But also, it's very, in my opinion, for this series and where we were at with Fantastic Beasts, predictable. Um, Because... That to me, there was no chance they were going to say he was a Lestrange. I was never under any delusion at any time watching that film that, oh, he's going to be a Lestrange. Because it's like, why? The only reason they would make him a Lestrange is if they were going to have him be Sirius's father or some crazy shit like that that isn't going to happen now. But it, other than that, they would have no reason in the plot to make him a Lestrange. It, it, like, furthering going forward. They don't play that big a role in the history of the Potter world. You know, Bellatrix plays a bigger role in the history of the Lestrange family than any other member. And she have, and she have. marries into it. Right. And she's not even actually one of them. Right. So, we have this whole story with him somehow being a Dumbledore and somehow conveniently on the boat and everything. It just, I don't know, that made my brain hurt because <laughs> I was hoping. The, the only thing going through my mind going into the end of it, and I hate to say it this way, was don't be, don't say Dumbledore. Don't say Dumbledore. <laughs> say Peveril. Please say Peveril. Oh, don't go cool. this route. Exactly. And it wouldn't have required a complete retcon of what we can reasonably say we know about the Dumbledore family. Which is a lot. Um, well, even like just talking to people after the movie, like people like Josh and yourself who know this type of lore, c- 
convinced me that, yes, okay, he can't be a Dumbledore because of previous lore that has set up the family tree for the Dumbledores, and this would be coming out and of nowhere. timing. He's actually related. Yeah. Um, so whenever he reveals the name Dumbledore at the end, I immediately assumed, oh, he's lying. Like, that's just what he wants, to, what Credence wants to hear at that moment to be part of this team. But there's, at the very end of the beginning of the movie, they set up the whole thing of the Phoenix. Right appearing to Dumbledore's, and then we get the Phoenix at the end, which suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, now that doesn't make sense to me. So, someone set me straight here. So, I'm completely on board with the idea of him being a Dumbledore, just not from Albus Dumbledore's parents. Uh, The the Dumbledore that we're seeing in this movie is approximately 80 years old. Dumbledore's mother died when when he was roughly 19 years old his father died when he was an early teenager credence is being generous let's say 20 to 25 we don't we don't have an age but yeah let's say 20 to 25 at most so biologically it just doesn't work at any point that that is like a half brother or like his parents did not father someone else they were already dead don't they even say brother though so that's yeah so it brings me that so that's a good counterpoint i i realize that is the part where either i i I could see grindelwald flat out lying to him or just using that as like your your brethren your kin your blood your brother it's it, it, admittedly it is a strange choice for her to write that word because it seems like she does deliberate things um so it other but i feel it's too weak to be simple manipulation it's too weak for it to just if be it's simple oh, well, manipulation this movie's useless right oh he's lying the to him story. and he'll find it out and that's it like grindelwald's yeah. better than that grindelwald's smarter than that he could come up with something better so my my only possible takeaway is it was a generic term used not to mean blood brother like direct you you share a same parent so did dumbledore have any uncles that we know so his, I, I tried looking <laughs> into this his i think his grandmother or his aunt is mentioned in like one sentence somewhere but like not by name and it doesn't really play it's 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 just a referential word like it's not even meant to be important in any regard it's just a throwaway mention so that's why i mean it could potentially be some part of an extended family that shares the surname still but nothing that we've been exposed to before and i've been reading some really strange stupid theories from people so far (laughs) I was going to say, let me ask you guys, try to get a definitive answer from you. Would you rather have it be, or or what? maybe not would you rather have it, or what do you think it would? it's more likely to be? Either a distant Dumbledore relative, or do you think they're going to retcon it where he actually is the brother of Dumbledore? The second one. I don't, face. I don't think retcon can work. I don't think she is as flagrant with her stories to create that massive of a hole her her novels are pretty tight when it comes to continuity and not contradicting herself there's a few little things but nothing this major i agree but again we don't know how old credence is 
I'll, I'll, I'll Granted, say that, but you know, we we don't know. Um, do you think? And so, but the only the only possible. Well, we have to have some idea because Lita. We know Lita is is a few years old. Say thirty years old. Do we? Say roughly. If if Dumbledore looks like that at eighty, do we know that Lita is thirty? I think they gave the impression that they have that like someone like her and Newt and Thassius have not been out of school that long, like fifteen years at the most. I do not but think I, again, I do not I do not think that Newt is supposed to be fifty to sixty years old. Do we? I feel like Dumbledore is the exception, like the one guy that's maybe a lot older but not look that old. Like I think everybody else would. No, yeah, I, 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 I mean she, she no, they points don't. out that wizards, like the magical people, live much longer and yeah. and okay. age, age slower. slower. That yeah. that that okay, is accepted, but I don't think that is what. I guess a concrete answer has not been provided, but I think. But here's here's the thing: is... Would it be as much of a stretch to instead of saying fifty or sixty to say forty to fifty? Because that's only the real like to get to the point. You know, like don't get me wrong. Like if what you're saying, you know, like when he was in his late teens, early twenties, is when his parents died. Yeah. So you know, so we're talking sixty years difference between right. So Credence would have to be 60. 63 years old for that to even is conceivably that truly impossible. I because one he's yes. an obscurus as well. Yeah, and we don't know a lot about them. But that would also mean that he was adopted mean... and in the care of people oh, in America just... and like Miss Barebone for sixty years, and she was so oh, anti witch. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, okay, so, yeah, alright, you're right. Like I said, I, I read all sorts of theories today. I read one that said uh, Dumbledore's little sister that died when she was, like, 13, Ariana, that this is, like, that when the muggle boys who accosted her as a young girl, that Dumbledore's father then attacks and goes to jail for, that when they attacked her, they actually raped her, and that Credence could potentially be her son that she had when she was, like, 11. I'm like, okay. First of all, that's that's a little really bit dark up. for, yeah. That's a but, little bit dark. But again, for this. it just the timeline. It just although they did work. work in friggin' rape into this movie somehow. So, right. I just I don't think <sighs> it works. So I'm excited to to see what more mythology she weaves around this. But I'm I, frightened I don't that she's think, going to. I don't think it works into anything that we already know. Yeah, the, okay. there's got to be that, that. That's where I'm giving it leniency. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, if she explains this in some other way, then yes, this is Dumbledore's actual brother. Mm-hmm. Then I'm willing to listen to what she's going to explain. <laughs> if she's explaining it as this is Dumbledore's brother, I'm just... It, it's going to ruin it for me. It's it's going to be a much harder pill to swallow, I agree. Uh, Brian, let me ask you this. If, if you were to watch the first... Fantastic Beasts again. Do you think you would try to see this one again while it's still in theaters, or at the very least, would you like? Are you okay? Like, eh, I'll I'll wait for it to be on DVD and maybe I'll watch it again. 
at this point, I'd probably wait for home. Yeah, the the home my home video, my home video yes. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I get to get out there to see it again in the theater. But I would. I want to point out too. You're the only one out of, out of us, the three of us, that have seen this movie twice. True. Mike and I are like coming at true, this once. but I don't know how much more you would be helped without getting the refresher from the first one again, at least. Oh right, right. Some things yeah, yeah. might. I, maybe after this discussion, it might piece a, a little bit better. But in terms of the overall arc of it, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if, like, even after our discussion, and it, it's weird to say that, Josh, I think you might have been the only one trying to defend this movie <laughs> for a lot of points. Um, but I don't know if our discussion saved, the, like, improved my score at okay. all. I still feel like I'm I'm still meh, middle okay. of the road type of score with it. But, yeah, that's not to say that if I, if I did go back and watch the first one again and then immediately followed up with this one, I think it would probably improve mm-hmm. the story. Either that, or it's going to make some of these plot points, like the Jacob Queenie stuff, a lot more apparent to me, and then Possibly. I'm just going to not like this one as true, much. True, true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess I could see it going either way, but I guess that could be an experiment to try mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, like I said, I, 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 the way that I started out is is still, I think, why I came out with it, came out of it with a favorable impression is I, I miss this feeling of having more questions than answers again, and... Yeah, you're at the fun part where you get to speculate on what's coming next over the course of three right. movies. And, and like I said, the first one didn't really leave me with that. And this one definitely has. Yeah. And it's all, it, it's left me with a lot more connective tissue to other things that I do already know that I can speculate on or or really desire to have the clarification. Is it this? Is it that? Is it not? What does that mean? Um, yeah. So because it gave me that that feeling again as well, plus there's a lot of new stuff that she, she did introduce that I did just happen to dig a bit. Um, like I, I, I loved the Nicholas Flamel part. I was just thinking in, that was one thing we cabin. didn't touch on, and I don't know how much we want to get into that because I don't know how much yeah, time yeah. that'll take. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, not a lot, but um, <laughs> like little things like that, like I really appreciated. Where like that's one of those things that I meant that was like fan service, but it didn't, it didn't feel like pointless fan service. I think me. we're gonna see much okay. more of Nicholas going forward. Maybe. And uh, yeah, at least I'm I'm thinking with Mike from the way they leave him mm-hmm. and the, the his whole line of like, well, I haven't been out to do anything in you know millennia or years or however yeah. long he says. Um, yeah, I think I think he will play a bigger part moving forward. Like I like when he opens up his little cabinet as he's running, well, like jog walking around his house, <laughs> and he opens up his cabinet and there's the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. You know, the sad part is I think his little jog walk is the funniest part. Of the movie. <laughs> Like, none of the jokes hit as well for me, but that part I, made me laugh. Yeah, the jog walk was definitely great. <laughs> and it, it, to me, the only other funny part was just Jacob's random, like, exclamations every now and then when something crazy <laughs> would happen that he didn't understand. He just, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that to me... Nothing beats him taking that laughing juice or whatever in the first movie. <laughs> uh, giggle, yeah. giggle water. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Giggle water. That, that shit gets me, <laughs> him and his giggles, that gets me every time. So I, w- I will maybe close close out the discussion by saying that uh after seeing it the second time sarah is now convinced that when i am like 70 to 80 years old i will have the manner mannerisms and movement behaviors of nicholas flamel that just blew my mind i can totally see it (laughs) yeah i can see this it's the facial structure like Like, it looks like you could grow into that as an old man like that could be old even if you 
even if you don't have to move like that, you will move like that because you'll be like, oh, look who I am. I'm just like you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you have to put on, like, that long, like, single white robe thing. Like, you... t- Tell Sarah she is spot on. Yes. Ring with you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> she said she's vindicated. <laughs> oh, I need better friends. Um, should we end with scores? That's our huge. Score out of ten? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, we're starting with me. Um... I'm I'm leaning to just under the bar. I think I'm gonna go like four point five oh, wow, for me. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go six and a half, uh, plus or minus two and a half based on future content. Um, <laughs> okay, if things are explained yeah, should... to my liking, could be up to a nine. If they are explained not to my liking, could be low as a four. All right. um, and I think that's part of my score too. I think as a, as a movie standalone, this doesn't do it okay. for me. As part of a series, when all the other part pieces are there, and you go back mm-hmm. and watch this, I think my score could yeah. come up. See, I I, I know but, yeah, I right know the now, Potter movies have been out for so long, but like, I would be curious to know like Brian from you know fifteen years ago or whenever it is that like if, I don't know if you were watching those Potter movies in real time as they were coming out in theaters, but like after you saw maybe the first, second, third one. Did you sort of have the same reaction at the time where, like, the overall framework wasn't as revealed, and so these individual installments might have seemed much weaker because of that? You know what I mean? I I caught up somewhere in the, like, after three or four, I think I started seeing all of them after that in the theater. So I was maybe somewhere in the middle. I finally started watching them in the theater. Yeah. Um, But even still, I didn't feel like they, like... They they felt more like the Star Wars movies, where the the movie itself felt like it resolved a lot of what happened in that movie, but there was obvious plot points and overarching things that carry on to mm-hmm. the next one. This one just again felt like set up the entire okay. time, and there's no payoff or resolution for much of what happens in this I got movie. You. Yeah, I would agree with what he said. And I really think the only like aside Jacob, I I will always love Jacob, but. I feel like the only other character that I actually sort of gave a shit about in this movie is Newt. Everybody else is largely forgettable for me. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And that's the the difference to the Harry Potter movies is you have your core three people, which get the majority of the screen time, and you are on board and care about what happens to them the and entire time. And then there's another six or seven ancillary characters that you give a shit about, too, that they yeah. do right, so much right. for. There's a lot better character stuff going on, I think, in those I movies. I can see that. I got you. Loki cared more about Hagrid through all of them than Harry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'd, I'd, I'd probably put it at, at at like a soft seven. I again, yeah, hoping that I wouldn't say it improves necessarily, but what comes later makes what we now have been informed about that much better. I hope it's a, a bit of a more like retroactive, like oh, that was important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like tied together properly this could be one of those movies that you're like oh man i gotta watch that one not tied together yeah. properly it could be the one and, that you're like eh, and we might, can skip that it might be that in her mind she has the framework already for all five and it's just unfortunately like we're seeing segment two of a five-part movie and each I really... piece doesn't necessarily feel strong on its own yeah, I, I think that's my probably biggest complaint. Yeah, And again, I think that falls back on a lot of the same criticisms that Steph leveled at Lord of the Rings for her. 
So I I can definitely see where she's coming from. Yeah, this is definitely the, the difference is that was a trilogy, <laughs> and this is a five <laughs> so, five movie series. Yeah. So I feel like there's going to be more filler before we get to the stuff that actually is going to give. Like, they that I'm gonna they care need about. the third movie to end with a bang. They really to be very, really, yeah. really to be, do. At least yeah, it needs to be very very strong. Like I feel like in the Potter series, like midway through, you had Goblet of Fire, and you have the return of Voldemort. Yeah. Like, regardless Bang. of everything else that happens in that movie that can be fun, like with the dragons and the maze and all that, what you have is the return of the thing that shouldn't exist in the first place, let alone its back. Right. Um, they, they, they need a punch in the third yeah. one. They need a big punch. Yeah. Well, that's going to be your second act, is the third one, right? Smack in the middle of everything. Mm-hmm. So that's when stuff should go to shit. Yeah. All right, I think that's we've talked long enough. I think we're we're up over. Two and if hours, anyone would like to continue talking, I am always available for that. <laughs> I actually just want to make a point because back to Mike talking about Hagrid. Mike, I feel like that should be your Halloween costume <laughs> next year is to be Hagrid. That is wow. Pretty so he's perfect. Nicholas Flamel, and now I'm Hagrid. Uh... Oh, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna find characters for everybody. It's gonna be I don't know who I can be. You guys are gonna have to pick one for me. Oh, this has nothing to do but, with that, but my favorite prior character call out in this movie that tied to something else was McLagan. Random. Yes. I loved it. Anyway, okay, move on. Yes, we'll we'll find we'll yes, find a character. Over, over we'll find a character me. for Brian. Yeah, that we could have yeah, whole, whole Harry Potter crew for this. I think I like it. <laughs> it would work. Um uh, all right, yeah, uh if you've enjoyed the show, please stop by iTunes. You can leave us a five-star rating and review. Be sure to share, subscribe, favorite the show which you can find on Google Play as well. Um, you can find us on Facebook, search Bright Guy Super Friends, or go to facebook.com slash Bright Guy Super Friends. You can send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions there, or you can tweet us at BG Super Friends on Twitter, which I can now get to on my phone, so I will actually see notifications. Um, I have an email address, although, but we still don't check that. So that's Friends at gmail.com. That's still vacant uh but twitter hey that that's that's up and running so that's that's the thing now um on behalf of josh mike and myself thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time